Well, this morning, as we look at Advent and come to the second Sunday of Advent, we want to look at Isaiah chapter 11. And we're going to spend the next couple of weeks in Isaiah and looking at some of these prophecies about the one who would come, about the arrival of the Messiah. In Isaiah chapter 11, uh, last week in your bulletin, I put Isaiah 1, and uh, sometimes there's people who like to read the passage ahead of time, and maybe you did that and were kind of confused uh, why that was a Advent uh, passage. Um, should have been chapter 11, so I apologize if you were wrestling in your spirit all week about how chapter 1 had anything to do with Advent, but hopefully there's grace. Isaiah chapter 11, starting at verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity, equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nation inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. We get this little snapshot here in Isaiah 11 of the king's kingdom and what this coming king is going to accomplish eventually. And this is part of why some of those alive at the time of Jesus, especially Judas, were somewhat disillusioned. Because some of these prophecies of what Jesus will ultimately fulfill, they were expecting him to fulfill when he was there the first time. And so because he wasn't this military conqueror overthrowing Rome, many of them became disheartened. We're looking at the king's kingdom. And let's look at verses 1 through 3 with the king of the kingdom. The king of the kingdom. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And so obviously we have here a reference to the Messiah is going to be a descendant of David, that he would be of the line of David, that kingly line. But interestingly enough, the, the word for sprout here, that we have the, the shoot from the stump of Jesse, this word, this Hebrew word netzer, it, it's a useless stump. And there are some who would say that this word netzer is from where we get the word Nazareth the useless stump. And we see in the New Testament this sense of this uh, disdain for Nazareth. Matthew chapter 2, verse 23, it says, And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3, it says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. John 1, 46. 
Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? So we have that the king is going to come from the line of David. He's going to be a descendant of David, that, that heir to the throne of David, and he's going to be a Nazarene, this what many would consider a useless stump. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Despised and rejected by men. But verse 2 says, And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Jesus echoes this in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 to 21, when he says, The spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So the spirit of the Lord is going to be upon this descendant of the line of David. And the spirit of the Lord is going to be upon him to proclaim the kingdom of God, to proclaim the reality of the kingdom of God. But verse three adds, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. That finally that the people of Israel are going to experience a true and right king, a true and right judge who is not going to be corrupted, who is not going to be after his own interest, but one who would truly bring justice. John chapter 7, verse 24. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment that Jesus will be the king, that Jesus will be the king of the kingdom of God to bring the reality of the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom of God, and oppression will cease, injustice will cease. But again, as I mentioned before, that there are some like Judas who don't like this because they wanted it then, not someday. And it's interesting to me that as the king finally comes, when Jesus finally comes into the world, that there are some who follow him, but there are some who follow him based on their own expectations of who he would be and what he would do. And when Jesus doesn't live up to those expectations, they become disillusioned and they become frustrated with him. And in Judas's sake, betray him. It's possible for us today to be longing for Jesus, anticipating Jesus, and looking forward to a second coming, but in the midst of following him, he doesn't live up to our expectations. That we expect certain things from him, that we want certain things from him. That somehow we have it in our minds that once I give my life to Jesus, then he's obligated to make everything in my life good. That I shouldn't have any more problems, that I shouldn't have any more concerns, that everything is going to be perfectly fine in my life. And when that doesn't happen, we blame him. And there are many who blame him to the point of renouncing him and wanting nothing to do with him. As we had, or we're in this Advent, what expectations do we have of Jesus? Are the expectations of who he actually is or what we want him to be? It may seem like a subtle difference, but one of them is allowing the king to be the king. The other one is allowing the king to be the king that we tell him to be. There's a big difference between the two. 
if the king's only allowed to be a king in the way that we tell him to be, then he's not actually the king, is he? What expectations do we put on Jesus that are our own desires rather than who he truly intends to be? The second thing that Isaiah talks about in verses 4 through 9 is the foundations of the kingdom. The foundations of the kingdom, verse 4, says, But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity, the second time I butchered that, with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Again, justice is going to prevail. And this is good news for the people of Israel who are expecting the Messiah to come. You know, as we get closer to the end of the Old Testament, things aren't exactly going as planned for the people of Israel. They are now concerned with oppressors from the right and from the left, and everywhere they turn, they're, they're in fear of being put into oppression and would spend years in oppression. And to finally have that deliverer who's going to come, and now as this threat of the Roman Empire puts them under oppression, now we're going to have the Messiah who's going to come, and he is going to take Rome out of its power, and he's going to restore us to be everything that we were meant to be. We can have that same sense. How often have you wondered? How often have co-workers or family members of yours wondered, if, if God is so good, why does he allow so much evil? Why does he allow so many bad things to happen? We have this promise back in Isaiah that one day, we don't like to wait. Waiting is very, very hard. We need to wait. There will come a day when righteousness and justice will prevail. Verse 5 says, Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Psalm 89 verse 14 says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. His kingdom, the kingdom of God, is going to be built on righteousness and faithfulness and justice and goodness. All the things that we long for in this world. I often wonder for, for all the times I've had somebody ask me, you know, why does God allow bad things to happen? And, and because God allows bad things, I can't believe in him. And ultimately, they're making a choice to say that because evil exists, I choose to believe that there's nobody out there who can make things right, that evil is just always going to prevail. And I wonder, how is that helping your hope? It's far easier to believe that there's evil exists, but there is a God who reigns, who one day will bring righteousness and justice to his kingdom. And there we have hope, and there we have the expectation and he gives this beautiful description of this kingdom, starting at verse 6. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf, and the lion, and the fattened calf together. And the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. I'm going to have to see somebody else do that first. I don't think I'm going to be the first to say, it's going to be fine. When I see other children playing around cobras, then I'll, I'll, I might relax and embrace that, but not sure about that one. And the weaned child shall put his hand to the adder's den. 
They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Why this description of all these animals lying down together, eating together, and kids playing around cobras? What's the point of all of this? These are normally situations where fighting and killing and death happen. And notice what this prophecy says that that's not going to be a concern anymore. If there's no longer a fear of death, if there's no longer a fear of, of hatred and violence, if there's no longer any fear of, of all of these calamities happening, then you can have kids playing around cobras and not worry about it. You can have lions and lambs intermingling and the lambs don't have to be scared for their lives because peace is going to reign in the kingdom. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4 says, He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And he shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Wouldn't that be amazing? Won't that be amazing? No more war. No more weapons of war. No more training for war. They're going to take their swords, and because they don't need them, they're going to turn them into farming equipment. No more spears, now pruning hooks. No nation is going to go to war with another nation. No more pointless death. No more violence. Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. The foundations of the kingdom, righteousness, justice, peace, love, no more crying, no more death, no more pain, no more sickness, no more disease, no more funerals, no more cancer, no more dementia, no more Alzheimer's, no more of all of this stuff that just surrounds us constantly. And we just say, when will it end? It will. When the king comes and establishes his kingdom, all of these things will pass away. And if that alone doesn't stir up a sense enough in us of, and that would be nice if that happened sooner rather than later, not only do we get all these benefits, which are amazing, the greatest benefit of the kingdom is the third point, the reign of the king himself. The reign of the king, verse 10. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. The word there for signal is a banner that's lifted up, a rallying point for the troops. That in the heat of battle, if you want to find your commander and your king, you look for the banner and you flee to that banner where you can find reinforcements, where you have that rallying point together. And Jesus will come and he will be that banner lifted up that we rally around. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. I love this verse. 
not only because it's a great verse for the Alliance focus on missions, but this is further evidence. This is the human reality of what we saw in verses 4 through 9. Verses 4 through 9, we get the wolves with the lambs and the leopards and the goats and all of these animals living in peace and harmony. But now we get that as we rally to the king of the kingdom, there's going to be Jews and Palestinians before the throne that there will be people of all nations, all tribes before the throne worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his glory. And another reason I love this, a question I often get, and as many of you were present for Carol Hebb's funeral uh, these past couple of days, and sometimes at funerals, uh, I will get questions. I didn't get it this time, but sometimes people will ask me, are we going to recognize our loved ones in heaven? Revelation 7, 9 indicates to me that we, when we're part of the kingdom of God, when we're in that eternal reality of heaven, that we're not just going to be these shapeless voids just floating around, which is good news because that's kind of weird. We're also not going to be fat little babies. I've ranted on the fat little babies for years. The only paintings I ever saw of angels were fat little babies. And then you read like Frank Peretti's books about spiritual warfare and you've got these demons attacking. And in my mind, I'm like, yeah, I really hope that the angels aren't just fat little babies because I don't want fat little babies defending me from these attacks. But Sorry, that was a side rant. I, I, I should get therapy for my fat little baby angel situation. All of us recognizing looking over the host of heaven, recognizing all peoples from all nations and all tribes, the diversity of the kingdom of God, not just animals getting along together, but people getting along together. And if you're anything like me, sometimes it's easier to believe that animals will get along rather than people getting along. But one day, in the kingdom of God, We'll look out and see the sea of people representing nations that for generations and generations have been at war with each other, now surrounding the throne of God, worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ together. In Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. With the king being the banner, the rallying point around which people from all nations are going to gather, he is the one who is going to reign. And it's the king that makes the kingdom. If you have a kingdom but no king, you don't actually have a kingdom. It's the first four letters. I don't know if that's the best logic, but if you have a kingdom, you have a king. And the greatest benefit of all the kingdom of God, of all of eternity, of all of heaven, isn't streets of gold, it's not mansions, it's not seeing all these animals playing together, it's not seeing little kids playing around cobras, it's not even seeing people from all nations and tribes together, it's the one that we're rallying around. It's the presence of Jesus. No matter where Jesus is, that's the kingdom of God. There's a lesson there. Because we look forward to the fulfillment of the reality of the kingdom 
But did you notice the line I slipped in there? Wherever Jesus is, that's where the kingdom is. What does scripture say about where the spirit of Christ dwells? Doesn't he dwell in you? That means wherever you are, that's where the kingdom is. And all of these things that we see that are going to be a reality in the kingdom of God, if we carry the kingdom because we have the spirit of the king within us, we don't have to just sit back and wait. We can begin to advance the kingdom now. Prepare the way of the Lord. That's what John the Baptist did. Prepared the way for Jesus. And now we are here to prepare the way for Jesus again, to prepare for his coming, to prepare for the advancement of his kingdom. Lloyd read that scripture about valleys being made low and highways being lifted up, and it's all about leveling the ground so that the king has a smooth path in front of him. How can we live out our days between now and this time of waiting for the fulfillment of this kingdom? How can we live for the kingdom today? How can we live the reality of the king today? To do the king's bidding, to advance the king's agenda, to promote and advance the king's kingdom. To advance the righteousness and peace and justice and love of the kingdom of God today. Because we don't have to wait until the fulfillment of the kingdom for Jesus to be our banner. He's our banner today. And as we wait for that second advent, we do the work of the kingdom today preparing the way for the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this snapshot of your kingdom. We thank you that this is your kingdom, that you are the king. 